podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Three, two. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today, we are recapping a, an eventful week for the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, we had a women's game that was fantastic for them. We had a men's game that uh, we'll be talking about here for probably the majority of the show because, let me tell you, Border War games are fun to talk about, especially when Kansas wins big. And then, of course, we also have some football news, Kansas hiring a new offensive coordinator. Here to help me talk about all of that is the guy that usually shows up this time of the week. It is Kyle Davis, my deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. Kyle, how you doing? I'm good. Yours are ringing a little bit still from being in the field house yesterday, but other than that, it's- I'm going to be honest. I'm surprised you can hear anything right now. So it, it got loud in there. I would yeah, say I saw some, pregame. It was like 126 decibels pregame, which is ridiculous. Yep. And then coming out of the half, it got up to 122 again. Oh my gosh! Um, and there were some Missouri fans getting into the mentions on the Blue Wings <laughs> Twitter trying to. Uh, <clears throat> basically downplay and say, how loud is it now after that, that little burst and that, you know, trying to take shots to Allen Fieldhouse, which is funny because all of the disses from the K-State and Missouri fans on Allen Fieldhouse, it's like, you're not even trying. Like, can you pick something better to try and like, that's not the thing to go after uh, is the atmosphere or the student section or like the, the state of the field house. Cause that's just, it's, it's, Right it's, when it's, it's it's lazy when everybody in the entire nation that is not a you know rival of some sort of the Jayhawks agrees or even some that are you know like Iowa State fans I would say that they're probably a pretty pretty close to a rival at this point and they all agree that Allen Fieldhouse is like one of the best if not the best venue in all of college basketball so yeah um, I mean ridiculous that this is uh <laughs> You know, that that's even something that they think that they can go after, especially, you know, the world-class uh, Mizzou arena is absolutely, I, man, I was over there last year for that game. It was bad. Like, I mean, it was nice enough, but it was not good at all. So, all right, but let's go ahead before we get into basketball and start talking trash again about Missouri, um, because we could probably, you know, spend three hours doing that and still not run out of material. Let's talk first about um, Kansas hiring a new offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes, most recently fired from Baylor, um, you know, a Baylor team that has had some uh, some issues, I think, offensively in the last couple of years. But Jeff Grimes is, you know, he was a finalist for, you know, the top assistant in the nation in both 2020 when he was with BYU and then 2021 when he first came over to Baylor. So, I, I mean, a lot of a lot of mixed signals here in terms of what, what people actually think about him. What were your thoughts once you heard that that Jeff Grimes uh, went ahead and and accepted the offensive coordinator position here at, here at Kansas? I, I thought it was a good hire. I think uh, you know, I like one. I think you're, you know, I, I you got to look more toward what else is being said around it and what other moves were made, which is that, you know, Kansas was not changing its offensive system. He is going to come in and add his flavor to that. But like, you still have uh, Jim Zabrowski there. Who's going to be a co-OC who's, who's worked with all these quarterbacks and these players. It's still going to be the same system. Um, it, but the thing that I liked about uh, what Grimes did at both uh like you mentioned the BYU team where, you know, everyone's saying, well, he made Zach Wilson look like a top two pick. So that's, you know, a credit Baylor in 2021. But I think the thing from knowing what the pieces come back in Kansas's identity, the thing that you would like to see 
uh, is that it wasn't just air attacks at those two space at, at those two places. So in in 2020 with BYU, when that team went 11 and one, they averaged 120 or sorry 192 rushing yards a game. In Baylor in 2021, they averaged 220 rushing yards a game. Uh, and they made you know he he made Abram Smith, who I don't know how many listeners could tell <clears throat> anything about Abram Smith from Baylor in 2021. He had a 1600 yard rushing season in that year. So I like that it's not just going to be like the the balance and the emphasis on the run while also getting the most out of the quarterbacks. Um, I think when you you when you bring him in <clears throat> and he can bring in some of his experiences there with. Coach the obviously Leipold and the structure that's already in place. I think that's a good mix. This is not an overhaul. This is not a, you know, this is not when David Beatty came in and was like, okay, now we're going to be an air raid team. And it was, you know, like this is a, um, this is going to be a melding of, of taking some of his, his experiences, his flashes into a, an existing system. And I would look at the, the successes over the, Span of the last six years, and I know everyone just wants to point to that last year at Baylor, but you know, there were injuries at quarterback. There was just some some weird stuff happening. Um, the defense was not good at all. Uh, so you know, you had you had um, you had so many different guys. Uh, you know, you had th- three different quarterbacks who attempted at least twenty passes over this course of the year. So I would. Um, I would look at the whole of it and and not just worry about this last year with Baylor, where they still put up decent offensive numbers. I mean, they were they, you know they still averaged twenty three points a game, not great. But I, I think what he's done over the course of his career, the fact that you have so much talent returning, and the fact that you are bringing him into a system that's already gotten proven success with other members of the offense like Coach Z and, and Leipold who know how to run it the correct way. And that it's going to be the nice balance of rush and pass. Um, I, overall, I thought it was a it was a good hire. It's going to be tough to replace someone like what Coach Kotelnicki was able to do. Uh, and there's a reason why Penn State came after him and threw so much money at him. So, you know, in terms of what you could have gotten, I, I don't think it's a bad hire at all. Yeah, I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is just, you know, the situations, right, that he was in. Like, when he was at BYU, he had a full staff that was very supportive of him implementing what he wanted to implement. And, you know, he had a lot of support staff that was really kind of geared towards the recruiting on the offensive side and helping him get what he needed. Um, Baylor, not so much. Like he came to Baylor and Baylor had a lot of offensive talent left over. And the worry was that, you know, like the, the issue with Baylor when Aranda was there in his first year was that, Hey, they have a ton of talented guys, but nobody that really has any kind of offensive um, know how, you know, on the staff to be able to meld that into an elite unit. That was what Jeff Grimes was supposed to do. What we saw, though, is that Dave Aranda is a very defensive-minded coach. They did not give him the support that he needed. There wasn't really a great offensive staff overall. And I'm sorry, but when you don't recruit well for the offensive side of the ball, you don't like any of that stuff, it's very hard to be successful. What you have in Jeff Grimes, one, he's coming back to a system. You know, Kansas runs the same system that he ran at BYU. So that in and of itself is, is an immediate fit. Um, you know, part of what was so successful here and why Kotelnicki has been, you know, so or was so successful. And he and he said this multiple times, too, is that the guys that they have at all the position coaches and helping to come up with game plans, like you know, the, their pass coordinator, their run coordinator, like there was such a great team effort and a such such a big 
uh, camaraderie between all the offensive staff that they were able to work together to make Kotelnicki look good. Kotelnicki was calling the plays, yes. Um, but all the fundamentals they worked on during the week, everything that they did and kind of that, that synergy that they had to know what it was that needed to be done and needed to be ready, um, that worked really, really well. And so bringing a guy like Grimes into that, I think is great. I, I thought that Zabrowski was going to take over the offensive coordinator role and they were going to bring somebody in, you know, backfill. But I also understand why you don't want to, you know, have your quarterback's coach. Like it's, it's one thing if your offensive coordinator is also like the tight ends coach or also, you know, one of the, like, like probably not the receivers coach, but like there's, there's other positions that they could be the coach of. You do not typically want them to be a quarterback coach unless they're used to, because I think that the development of Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean and now Cole Ballard is one of the things that you look at as, you know, the biggest plus for this staff. Um, if you have a quarterback's coach who is also trying to be the offensive coordinator and coordinate all that stuff, it, he's not able to do that nearly as well. It, you know, it, it just takes time away. We saw that with David Beatty where he tried to do way too much and he wasn't good at any of it because he tried to do like literally everything. It was a running meme that every week he was taking over another unit of the team. Um, you can't have that and have a successful offense if you're going to have your offensive coordinator kind of trying to run so much. So I think bringing in Grimes, a guy that knows it really well. And it's it's funny because Le- Leipold was talking during the press conference, um, you know, about how they brought him up to kind of just, you know, take a look at what they were doing and kind of, you know, have him pick their, you know, or I should say pick his brain about, you know, what the thoughts were. And from there, it just kind of was like, a, hey, wait a minute, you want to work here? <laughs> like, that's that's one of those great things that you have where, you know, you bring a guy in for a completely different reason and it clicks just that well. And the fact that it clicked that well and that wasn't the initial intention, I think is a great sign for Kansas moving forward. I am excited to see what Grimes can bring to it. Um, you know, I'm excited to see what he's able to do. I, I did watch what he did at BYU and it was fantastic. So I am absolutely ready to see Grimes stay in the Big 12, um, you know, come here to Kansas and hopefully continue to push this offense forward. Um, again, you know, if if Kansas stayed with Kotal or if 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 Kotalnicki stayed at Kansas next year probably would have been better just because you wouldn't be breaking in someone new, but I do think that Grimes brings that new fresh perspective. You know, I think there were some people that were talking about like one of the biggest one of the biggest things Kansas football wise that I heard from a lot of people. Um, you know, as I was doing all the previews for the games coming up and everything, it was like, yeah, when you see what Kotalnicki does you're better prepared for it. So like when you play him in year two or three, you're better prepared for it because you have a general sense of what he does. It's really hard to play him for the first time. I'm not saying that he's predictable, but you know what things to look out for to be able to sniff out the surprises he's going to have for you. And a lot of them still worked, but I do think that there is some benefit to bringing in a new guy that's going to approach things a little bit differently. It's going to be an additional one of those kind of reset years where everybody's going to have to figure out how Grimes is going to do it differently. Um, so that should be helpful for next year. So we'll have to see how well they're able to kind of put everything together, but man, with everything coming back next year, all the players, you know, Kansas, um, one other, you know, item that really popped up for me is, you know, I was looking at the, the transfer portal. Kansas only has two players in the transfer portal and they're both backups. You look at a team like Cincinnati that has like 24 players in the transfer portal. K state that has 18. There are a ton of other schools here in the big 12 that are losing a lot of good pieces. Kansas is pretty much, as of right now, is bringing everybody back. So we'll see after the bowl game, like, if everybody sticks around. But the way that everybody's been playing, the way that everyone's been talking about this stuff, and, you know, just what we've heard from guys, like, I'm much more worried about losing guys who decide their career's done and they want to go try to, you know, be a third or fourth round or, you know, later draft pick in the NFL than guys deciding that they're done playing here and want to play somewhere else in college next year. Because, you know, this has been a, a fantastic 
a fantastic environment for a lot of them. Um, you know, the whole NIL thing that Kansas is doing with, with mass street, uh, is taking, I mean, I just phenomenal the way that their NIL program is working. So it's going to be really hard. I think for people to pull Jayhawk players away with extra money to go to somewhere else in college football, it's really going to be, I think all about NFL at this point. So. Yeah. And I think you can tell that the fact that, you know, the, the, the move did not cause like any panic in either the recruits who were coming in on the offensive side of the ball or the current players. Like they clearly, the Leipold has done a great job of, uh, building trust and transparency there that everyone seems to at least right now be, be bought in, um, for next year, which is great to see. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's going to be really interesting because like, I know that Isaiah Marshall, you know, is a guy is a really highly rated quarterback recruit that's coming in. Um, you know, he graduates this, this fall or this, uh, spring. So he'll be here next year. Um, at least theoretically we'll see. But, um, you know, I mean, it's just, man, there are so many, and that I think you're right, is the most encouraging sign is the fact that all of the recruits, I've yet to see a single recruit decommit after Grimes got hired, which sometimes you'll see just because, you know, they want to go somewhere else. I don't think that, like, I don't, I think that Kotelniki did a good job, along with everybody else here at the Kansas staff, of selling the recruits on Kansas, not on the coaches themselves. And yes, the coaches definitely help. But unless you have a mass exodus of coaches, there are plenty of other coaches that they were familiar with, that they were comfortable with, that they wanted to play for, that they're still more than willing to come here, even if Kotelniki's not calling the shots. So I'm excited to see how this team looks next year. Um, let's jump over to women's basketball. Kansas uh, played Houston Christian this week. Uh, they absolutely demolished them. They're getting ready to play Wichita State as we're recording. Um, a team that actually lost to Houston Christian <laughs> in their last game. So it's a little weird the way this is working out. But, you know, Kansas, I think what we've seen is, is the Jayhawks on the women's side. And, and we talked about this last week, but they challenge themselves with a lot of really tough games. It's nice to see them get a kind of a break to regroup against Houston Christian. Now they're going on the road to hopefully get some success on the road at a team like Wichita State, which is, you know, okay, but nowhere near the level of competition that they faced and because they have a brutal big 12 schedule coming up. Did you get a chance to watch that game? Did you get a chance to really follow anything from that? And like, what are your thoughts for KU getting ready to go into a huge non-conference with Nebraska on the 20th, um, you know, and then getting ready for conference play ending of the month? Yeah, I, I, I got to see a bit of it. It was, a, it was a little bit of a slow start from what I remember for, for Kansas, but yes, they, they turned it around. It, it's also worth pointing out that that game uh, was without Tyana Jackson. So, you yep. know, you, you have a, a big piece in the middle that it's not there. Um, but everyone else, I think, you know, stepped up well. I Again, from this team, I would like to, I think the free throw shooting is a bit of, con, of a concern. You know, you, you the better free throw shooting probably gets you the win against Virginia Tech. Uh, again, they were just, you know, 14 to 22 from the line against Houston Christian. It didn't matter in this game, but that's still something where it's like that. That's an area that I feel like I've noticed throughout the year that just is one to clean up. But yeah, I think, um, a 22 point win, uh, without one of your best players and the best, one of the best players in the conference is obviously, um, always worth celebrating and i think yeah this is a very this is a very winnable game on the road against wichita state and this is one where you know this 
Kansas has struggled against better competitions, just not being able to close it out. And so it would be it would be good to see here uh, just a dominant in the end solid win uh, against the Shockers today. Uh, because you're right, you've got a couple other really <clears throat> interesting uh, matchups before you get into Big 12 play here. And this is one where, yeah, um, you know, I, I think that the four and four record is a little uh, less than what you would expect coming into the, with the expectations coming into the year. Obviously, some of those, you know, two of those were against top 10 teams, so they're understandable. But this is one where um, you should be able to, to, take care of business against Wichita state. And I'm, I'm interested to see, um, you know, what happens there. Cause not only did, did Wichita state lose to Houston Christian, you mentioned they lost to Southeast Louisiana. Like they, they don't really have a great win on. Yeah. Their on best the, win is against state. Presbyterian. I mean, well, I was say maybe Akron, like I, uh, yeah, that was a two point win. Uh, you know, they got, yep. they got housed by Oklahoma. I mean, I guess, you know, um, St. Louis is five and six. That's you know that's I guess it's the fact that they won by almost twenty there is a good win. But yeah, this is this is a t- this is a game you should go out and and win if you're Kansas and you are the kind of team that we all thought you were in the preseason. Yeah, I mean they were without Jackson because of an illness, and so she is expected to be back uh, for this game. Um, you know, it's one of those things that just kind of happens. I think everybody was surprised. I think most of the team knew fairly early that she wasn't feeling well for the day. And, I mean, she was on the bench. You could tell she wasn't injured, so everyone was kind of wondering what was going on. But, you know, those things happen, and, and I it did take the fir- the entire first quarter for them to kind of find their footing, um, you know, because, like, Holly, Gers- Holly Kersgeter was having to um, defend on the inside. Like, she was into the post because her player went down into the post quite a bit. So, like, there was just a lot of stuff that was completely different than what they're used to. I'm not surprised it took them a little bit of time to kind of get – ready to go and, and really kind of exert what they were trying to do. But then, you know, it also didn't help that Houston Christian was shooting lights out from three in the first quarter, um, you know, and they, they were making a bunch of shots that they normally wouldn't have made. So when everything kind of settled down, Kansas did exactly what you expect them to do, ran out to a huge lead at half and then extended it going into the third quarter. I mean, the third quarter, they had a 20 to eight run. Well, I'm sorry. They had a, they had a 20 to nothing run in the third quarter and Houston Christian scored eight points on either side of it. So, um, they just completely locked down on defense. They went, they went, uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, it was, it was a 20 to two run is what it was. Cause, cause they hit a couple free throws in the middle of there. Um, but they held them without a field goal for eight, for over eight minutes in the third quarter, which was just absolutely ridiculous. So, all right. Well, I don't think that there's m- too much more to talk about that. We might, we might actually do a little bit more of a preview about the Nebraska game when, when it comes up next week, but, uh, we are going to go ahead and jump over to men's basketball. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chuck Podcast. And we're back. I am here with Kyle Davis, our deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. And, of course, we are talking about all the great things that happened this week for the Jayhawks. Um, let's get into it. Border War, Kansas defeating Missouri in a game that was probably just as strange as most Border War games are. But you were on hand. You talked about how loud it was there. Um, very first thing I have to ask you about, because this is, like, way out of order, but... That KJ Adams block with T Rob in the house. And I heard the crowd go crazy and he started like, you know, flexing to the crowd and all that stuff. What was that moment like actually being there in the field house for that? So there's 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 a couple of these ones where like as soon as you 
watch them, you're like, oh, that's going to be in the intro video for like the next few years. You know, that happened with um, T-Rob's dunk over in, against Baylor where he went up and got it with one hand. Um, like this was one of them and it was going away from me because uh, I was on the side uh, where Kansas was shooting in the second half. So, you know, he was, they were running away from me and, and it just was, you could tell like the whole time it was just like watching uh, a cheetah, like chase down a gazelle. And it was just like, Oh, he's there's, and there's a, I know there's a screen grab going around where, you know, the, the Missouri players looking over his shoulder at one point about a half court, but yeah, that was, um, that was about as electric as you get. And KJ made some electric plays in there. He had some dunks in there that, that were, uh, that, came close to, close to bringing the house down. But like that one's one where like I was a little concerned about the structural integrity of the field house because it was so, you know, especially when it, it led to the and one by Hunter Dickinson on the other end. So, you know, not only was it the great defensive play, but then it led to, to points on the offensive end. But yeah, uh, I was a little worried that he was going to get a technical because he did kind of hover over and flex. Uh, and I, the referees, I wouldn't, I don't think KJ was looking at, at, the tiger and I'm, I'm blanking on who actually he blocked, but like, I think he was more just like in his own, you know, emotions and whatnot. Um, but I was afraid that they, they were maybe thinking he was taunting and we're going to give him something there, but yeah, yeah that that's, was... that's an, uh, from your angle. That's probably what it looked like, but on the TV broadcast, yeah. like you immediately saw he stepped over and around the guy and then flexed into the crowd. So it's like, he wasn't even, yeah. he wasn't even close to him at that point. Like you could tell anybody that looked at it was just like, yeah, he was playing well, it up for the crowd. Well, it was crowd. also because – it was maybe also because there was zero consistency with the officiating. And, again, I'm not going to complain about the officials today after when it just oh, – yeah. it was more like it just it just didn't make any sense. Like, I, 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 I'm all for if you're going to let them play and, and be physical, awesome. If you're going to be ticky-tack, I mean, that's less ideal, but – Well, I mean, know, I it, yeah, it just, I, tw- I tweeted that at the beginning of the game. It was like a, they're <laughs> letting a lot of contact go. And then they really Except unless unless with Johnny Furphy was playing defense, then it was the well, right, right. They were letting a lot of contact go early in the game, and then they started to tighten up a little bit, and then they let it lax again. And then Johnny Furphy came in, and he got three quick fouls, and it was just like this is ridiculous. Pick a lane, but yeah, but the, <laughs> yeah, but that play, like I, I that's I would imagine that's going to be in the intro video starting. I think the next home game is Yale right before Christmas. Like that's. You know, you know those ones where it's like, okay, that's an iconic. I would say play. if they don't put it in the intro video for that game, I'm going to be extremely disappointed. Yeah, and I have to imagine it's going to be there for a while. And it's, you know, there's there is a long line of amazing highlight plays that have stuck around against Missouri. You have the Julian Wright dunk on the sideline uh, in Mizzou Arena. Obviously, the the T. Rob block. There's the Tyrell Reed uh, clincher. Like, there's so many great plays against Missouri, and I feel like that one was was up there as you know in that in that upper echelon of just because part of it was just it was it was complete just an effort play which is what it embodies i think kj so well it was freakishly athletic but it was also just like pure effort because he could have easily just jogged back and given up two points and whatnot um but i think it was i think the way that the type of play it was and for being kj like i think also just added to it and you know he is probably not the best player on the team and i know we're going to talk about just the roster but like in the games i've been to so far like no one gets the crowd just as amped and hyped and makes that environment even more hostile than kj adams making a big play oh yeah i mean he's the 
He's the Kevin Young energy guy in addition to just being a really, really good shooter. So, um, you know, that highlight like you're talking about, brand new addition to just what is an absolutely fantastic lineup of, you know, things to put in that video. I really do hope that they add it. But speaking of brand new additions to a fantastic lineup, there is a brand new addition to the lineup at our sponsor here on the podcast, the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage clothing company based right here in Kansas City. Uh, that wants you to be the best dressed fan this entire season. They have tons of absolutely fantastic stuff. Vintage college logos for more than 30 different schools, and they're continuing to try to add more. They have everybody in the Big 12 except for Cincinnati, and they have Colorado from the schools coming in, and I believe are working on the other ones, so we'll see. You know, if if you do happen to be listening to this and you're from one of those schools, bug your school to let Charlie Hustle get, uh, you know, get licensed so you can have some fantastic stuff. But... Go check out over on charliehustle.com. They have a Kansas Jayhawks holiday sweater that is brand new. It's absolutely fantastic. I really love it. It takes the ugly sweater theme and actually turns it into something that I would wear quite a bit. So um, charliehustle.com, use promo code 101215 to save 15% off of all non-sale items. They are in the middle of the 12 days of hustle, uh, which means that they have plenty of other sales and other things going on. So if you find something there, Definitely use that, but if not, you have that promo code that will save you 15% off of everything that's not on sale, and you can use that as many times and as often as you want. Um, there is no limit. It's not a first-time-only thing, anything like that. Again, that promo code is 101215-TEN1215. Save that 15%. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right, so you did say we are going to talk about the rest of the roster. Let's go ahead and take a look. Um, look, there's a lot of different options, right, for which guy you think was like the biggest guy here. I can make an argument for Kevin McCuller, um, for Hunter Dickinson, for KJ Adams, of course. Uh, you know, El Marco Jackson had a great game. Which guy do you think had the biggest impact on the way this game went? Uh, I don't want to spend this and turn this into an entire KJ Adams podcast, but I actually do think it was him because uh, they, Missouri's defensive scheme was to basically have KJ's man be a shadow of Hunter Dickinson so that as soon as he caught the ball, they would double him. And they let KJ Adams just kind of roam the, the mid range as much as he wanted. And he made them pay over and over again with those little eight to 10 foot floaters. Like he's got that down so much. And so you, so it reminded me at the time of, you remember the, um, uh, the Washington game in the sprint center uh, where, you know, they basically said, all right, LeGerald Bick, we're not going to guard you. You beat us. Uh, we, you know, we dare you. We're going to take away everything else. And he had 27 points, and they still lost the game. Like it wasn't quite to that extreme, but KJ, like they, they were daring him to beat them. They're saying we're not going to let Hunter Dickinson beat us. Um, go ahead, KJ, do what you will. And he, you know, that run, that 20 to two run at the end of the half was like all stirred by him. Not only with scoring, but he had five assists. A lot of those came in there. Like he was still incredibly finding ways to get Hunter the ball uh, and there's some shots in there for those jumpers. Um, and I think that my, my favorite part of that was the fact that he in the second half from the press break was just taking it coast to coast and like they couldn't stop him. And I think he had a quote after the game where he was like, yeah, I just felt like I was faster and stronger than they were and was just going to take it because they were daring me to bring the ball up. And so you have a four man who can not only, uh, you know, score, he can pass, but he can also bring the ball up in a press break like that. You know, I think he has been probably Kansas's best player of late. Um, but I do think also this was El Marco Jackson's best game as a Jayhawk. 
Uh, he was the only starter not to have a turnover. Uh, this is the first game he hasn't had a turnover. He had 11 points. Um, and also, I think the surprising thing, it, this at least surprised me, I don't know, would you would you have, if I gave you like four guesses, would you have guessed El Marco Jackson as being the best free throw shooter on this team? No. Absolutely not. You want to you want to guess at what you want to guess what his percentage is, unless you've already looked. I have not looked. Um, for for the day or overall. Overall for the season. I'm guessing it's like eighty three, eighty four percent somewhere in there. Ninety one percent. Oh my he gosh! Of, he is twenty one of twenty three. Um, in this game, just as a you know, for on on um, <clears throat> excuse me, on Saturday he was six to seven. You know, he started the game with two free throws. He was had two free throws there to clutch. Ended at the end. He had the four point play where, you know, he knocked it down. Um, his defense was good. He, I think the way that he handled Missouri's pressure was, was solid. Again, uh, like no turnovers and just, you know, he was, <clears throat> he was a little more, I think, calm and sound and taking what the defense was giving him. And then, yeah, when you've got a freshman who can step up to the line over and over again in big situations and be one of your best, uh, free throw shooter, I thought I thought that was probably Omarco's best game as a Jayhawk. And then he's not gonna get a lot of love, but I thought Parker Brown played a fantastic game in there. You know, he I think I thought it was incredibly fitting that he got the basket to tie the game for the first time. Uh he had some massive blocks in there that just not even just blocks, but like, hey, I'm gonna send this into the second row kind of blocks. Um, you know, he he did a really good job on he didn't get any rebounds but he was consistently moving his guys out of the way uh on seals so that others could get rebounds and so for five minutes i thought he was about as productive and i actually thought johnny perfectly looked really good except that they wouldn't stop calling him for fouls but like uh, on the especially in the offense he just continues to feel like he's got some confidence and again just knows where to go with the ball and where to be so you know it, it wasn't um it wasn't a huge bench game, obviously. Not many of them are. But I think if you look at the young guys who continue to come up, including El Marco Jackson in there as a starter, um, or the new guys, I should say, because, you know, Parker's not exactly a young guy. But uh, I-, I thought, actually, this was a pretty good showing from that group overall. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, this is a this is a team I think that, well, first of all, I was surprised by who got a bunch of fouls, right? Cause you had Dewan Harris with four, you had Omarco Jackson with four and you had Johnny Furphy with three. Those were the three guys that were like in foul trouble. Everyone else only had one, <laughs> which is just like really weird, right? To see them spread out that way. I do think that there was people that were initially, you know, kind of talking about the whole free throw discrepancy and, you know, foul discrepancy. It was like, they ended up with, uh, you know, Kansas. Well, one, Missouri had to foul at the end to try to extend the game. So I believe there was at least three fouls they there. They started with the last two minutes. They they fouled starting with two minutes to go. Yeah. They basically, I, I think I counted eight free throws uh, in the last 90 seconds. Right. Like when they, started, yeah. when they started fouling, I'm pretty sure that Kansas had been called for more fouls and Missouri had shot more free throws. Um, or it was about even on free throws. But Kansas was also yeah. getting fouled going to the rim, going up for shots, whereas Missouri's fouls, or I should say the, the, the fouls against Kansas were loose balls or, you know, out on the perimeter, so screen-type situations where you got a guy that was coming off of a screen. and So, like, yeah, the different types of fouls, I think, is really what uh, what made that difference there. But, you know, Kansas, Kansas did a great job. I, I was a little 
a little disappointed that there was no Missouri players that were on the team that Parker Brown played on at Missouri. You know, it would have been nice to see him, you know, against some of his former teammates, but um, you're right. Like I thought he had, he had a key stretch where he came in for a couple blocks. Um, you know, he had four points on the day. Like he did what you need from a bench guy. He's did exactly what you expect a Parker Brown type of player to do. So absolutely no, no concern there. Jackson got started, was very hot at the beginning of the game. Um, you know, I was a little surprised. Like he was the first, the first guy to score on free throws, <laughs> which was a little strange as well. But he doesn't jump out on the stat line a lot. But I thought you, like you said, he played very solid defense all game long. He did a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of things for this team. Um, but you know, Hunter Dickinson, Ken Palm has him as the MVP. And I understand why he had 16 rebounds on the day. Um, you know, he ended up with 13 points and most of those came in the second half. In fact, I believe he only had two points at the half. So he got 11 points in the second half. But what you saw from Hunter Dickinson in that first half was him fighting for rebounds, even though he was being frustrated in shooting. You know, a lot of guys, especially big guys, when they get double teamed like that, when they have a hard time actually getting shots up, it affects all the rest of their game. Doesn't for Hunter Dickinson. The way he goes and rebounds is just, it's crucial for this team for them to be able to, to get where they need to go. Um, so I am very excited about the way that this game turned out. The fact that they got punched in the mouth early. Um, you know, and I was, oh, I was a little worried when Missouri was up. I think they were up by like 12 or by double digits, I think, at one top, point. Oh, it, it was nine. Okay. It was for, yeah, 15 to six. And then that was when it, uh, and then Kansas just went on a huge mark. run. And then that was when Self called the timeout. And yeah, but you're, you're right though. The whole, the, the, the beauty of having a Hunter Dickinson on your team is that he draws so much attention that even if they try to shut him down and he's still at 13 and 16, which is a, a solid stat line, it frees up the entire rest of the floor. Like you in, and, and that's why it was so great to see KJ Adams do what he did and El Marco to have a better game. And why you have someone like Kevin McCuller back is because, um, a hunter just draws so much attention that like you, you can't, if you're going to give him that attention, which, you know, that that's the bet. It's like, Hey, we're going to make sure he doesn't beat us. And if someone else steps up and does, then, you know, what are we going to do? And that's why it's important to see um, those other guys really play as well as they did, because now you have a decision to make. Do you go all out to stop Hunter Dickinson and do you do it and leave KJ Adams to roam free in the paint? Like they did okay, well, KJ's might get, you know, 16 then, and, and you're like, they, Kansas is showing it's going to score no matter what. Um, and, you know, this was, Kansas is not a lot good offensive rebounding team coming into this game. Like, that's been an area just rebounding as a whole where Kansas has really struggled. And so to see them grab 13 offensive boards and Hunter himself get five, and that's where a lot of his shots came from, was getting the offensive rebound, even though he was double teamed and just being bigger and taller and putting it back up there. Like that, um, that's valuable because you don't even have to run much offense for him to be impactful. Just like he just needs to post up down there and, and try and go. But overall, even like Kevin McCuller had three offensive rebounds. Um, he had nine rebounds overall. Like I thought the the rebounding, again, that was the same thing with UConn. It's like you, you got to be able to win the board, uh, game here like you have to be able to dominate on the glass and they did overall like 42 29 on on rebounding overall on offensive rebounds 13 to 7 uh so that was really good to see in terms of an area that um that kansas has really struggled with and has started to clean up a little bit more in the last couple of games yeah i 
I mean, uh, yeah, this was this was great to see them with the the offensive rebounding. This was great to see them with just with. I mean, honestly, this felt like one of the more complete games. Um, you know, barring of course the first like ten minutes, but but like you said, Hunter Dickinson made it pretty clear in that first half that hey, if you're going to you know, if you're going to double me and you're going to like, we're going to, it's going to open up things for everybody else. And that's why he was able to get 11 points in the second half because they had to stop going after him pretty much exclusively. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that really helped to kind of open things up. Dwan Harris did not have the kind of game that you were hoping he would have against, you know, Missouri, his hometown team. Uh, I mean, but he did have, you know, a respectable eight points um, on three or five shooting. You know, he had five assists. He had two defensive rebounds. He had a block and a steal too. That block was hilarious to look at because he just literally like swiped behind him and just like blocked it randomly. Um, it was it was hilarious to see. It was great to see. Um, you know, and after I, him not being able to finish in the paint in the UConn game, it was nice to to see that he was he was yep. especially against the, some taller players there. Like he was still able to convert, and he had a couple of big little floater hook type shots from from five or six feet out so that's that's the thing with him like he's not going to shoot a ton of threes he's not going to get a ton of points i wish he got to the line a little bit more but like at least to see him you know if he can own that that kind of five to six foot drive and 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 kind of loft one up over the bigger guys and if he can shoot you know 60 percent in that range for a game you're going to be in good shape yeah um the other thing that really jumped out to me, you can tell that Bill Self took this game seriously because uh, of the number of minutes that his starters played. Um, if you had to guess, how many minutes do you think that Dewan Harris averages? He's he how averages he the averages? yeah he averages the most on the team. Um, but so if you had to say like how many minutes do you think he normally plays? Well, because I'm trying to think because I, I I can remember a couple of instances not in this game actually i don't know if he ever came out of this game I, um but like I, Wait, I he did not he did not by the way he did not okay. yeah he, he was so, into the I, entire thing you know they tried a couple of like uh, el marco and nick timberlake kind of in the one two there in, in previous games but i want to say 38 minutes a game 37 maybe as a is a shorter end but it feels like it's probably 38 no it's actually only 35 Oh, okay. and he's the he, most. He comes down more than I thought. Yeah. Well, I think it's because there's been multiple games where he's been able to be out for huge stretches at the end when they throw in all the. But still, like, you know, Kevin O'Connor is second on the team with thirty thirty four minutes a game. Um, you know, you look at uh, you look at Hunter Dickinson. He's you know third. Like, this is not a team that typically leaves their starters out. They like to bring in bench guys. They need to have a rotation. Like, yes, Hunter Dickinson's super important to the team. Kevin McCullough's super important, you know, KJ. But they have, one, they have a, you know, a two guy that, or a, a you know, two position that they can uh, rotate a bunch of guys in because they don't have someone who, El Marco Jackson takes the majority of the minutes of the two, but he's not exclusive at all. Um, But, you know, I, I was a little surprised to see, like, they don't typically, you know, Par- Parker Brown gets almost a quarter of the available minutes. He averages almost 10 minutes a game. You know, you have Nick Timberlake averages about 11 minutes a game. You have Jamari McDowell averaging about eight minutes a game. Like you've got a bunch of other guys that play a decent amount. So to see them in for this long in this game, you know, Hunter Dickinson was in for 35 minutes. KJ Adams was in for 37. Kevin McCuller was in for all but one minute. Like this was a very one, very important game for Bill Self. And 
one of those where you just you went with the guys that you trusted you really wanted to show and i mean even late you know it would have been a perfect time to throw in you know the the b team i guess is really the way to you know parker brown jamari mcdowell nick timberlake johnny fur like throw in a bunch of those guys and let them go at the end when you know kansas was up by 10 at that point um he didn't do it, and obviously you wanted your best free throw shooters in there, but I do think that against a different opponent, this probably would not have been such a lopsided, you know, starter minutes game. And I think it also helps the fact that they don't play for another week. So he's like, okay, you know, if you play, one doesn't come out, he has a full week of recovery before he gets to go again. Um, and it, it is interesting because I hear a lot of people stressing about the bench, and I do think bench minutes are a little – overrated like missouri is one of the deepest bench they go to the bench more than anyone they lost to jackson state at home and not even just that in a one game sample but like if you look at like this is not a new thing so if you look at kansas's best teams in in recent history the national championship team uh kansas was 301st nationally out of like three you know 61 at that point uh in bench minutes you look at the 2020 team which i if you haven't seen it this week compared basically both the roster and style play of this year's team to the 2020 team that, that got ended with, uh, with no postseason because of, uh, because of COVID it was 312 in bench minutes, the ninth, the 2018 final four team, which yes, did happen. Can't tell me otherwise. I watched it. They were 345th in bench minutes. Go back to the, we, we uh, hung T Rob's Jersey in the Raptors on Saturday, that 2012 team that went to the final four, 300 314th nationally in bench minutes so it's it's a little i i would much rather give me two potential all-americans and an amazing top six uh over 10 guys who you know maybe you kind of trust but don't really i mean like we saw this you know and it's funny like we it, it seems like maybe it was a deeper bench last year but actually self has gone to the bench more this year than he had last year at all because they didn't trust any of those guys and that's why they are no longer in the program like the kansas was 361st last year in bench minutes at 18 percent. right now they're at 21 and a half percent so like it's i i would um I also think because a lot of those guys are younger or new to the program, it just, it takes time and we're in early December and there's a lot of season left. And that number is probably going to go up a bit by the end of it. But again, I think bench overall bench production and the amount of minutes you play is a little overblown in terms of looking at how impactful it is on like the ceiling of your team and potential you know, hardware and postseason success. You can win because you only play twice a week and <clears throat> and these kids are young and, and super athletic and, and whatnot. Like, as long as you're good at not committing a ton of fouls, which Bill Self is good about teaching not to, you know, commit a ton of fouls, you can, you can get by with a seven or eight-man rotation. Um, and that's why it was good to see Parker Brown. Like he is just a reliable guy. I think Johnny Furphy is coming along really well. I, I love Jamari McDowell's defense. Um, the offense needs to come along, but like you could throw him in for five minutes to give someone a break and be fine. Like you've got maybe Nick Timberlake, you know, he hit a three. It seems like he, 
he hits his first shot and then it all kind of goes down from there. So maybe you play him one minute of the game and you figure out when you need a three most, put him in the game, let him shoot a three, make it and then bring him out. But um, I, I would just caution like the sky's not falling just because Kansas is having to play its, its starters major minutes. It's, I, I don't think this is going, this is not an indictment on, on how far this team can go. And I think the guys who are on the bench are going to get better as we go. But as we've seen, like a run through it, like there's been some really successful Kansas teams that don't go to the bench very much. This is not a new thing. Like Bill Self does not like having 10 or 11 man rotations, especially when you get into conference play, like this is just part of it. So um, there's some issues to clean up. Would love a little less turnovers. Although I know that when you're such a good passing team that that some of that just comes with it. But like the, I think the bench, the bench uh, production and time on there is not quite as worrisome as maybe I've seen some people reacting to. Well, it's, it is it is a little weird, right? Because there's a couple of different things at play here. There's first the fact that Kansas does not have a set lineup, you know, starters. They typically do by this point in the year, and they typically do much earlier at this point in the year. And then most of the bench minutes come from Bill Self trying out different combinations or players that aren't available or, you know, other stuff that's happening. Um, this year, there really is a legitimate question of who the number two guy is. And so you're going to have just naturally more bench minutes as you're trying to find the guy that fits that role. Um, but, but I think what we're finding now is that, you know, I think they've settled in with El Marco Jackson. He is probably going to take much more of those minutes moving forward, but you still have so many talented guys. And I think that's the other thing too, is that those teams you talk about where, you know, the majority of the minutes came from the starters is because the starters were clearly better and they didn't have a lot of holes from those starters that required guys on the bench. I think they have some of those holes. I mean, like, you know, Dwan Harris is a good shooter when he's locked in, but he's not a good volume shooter. Kevin McCuller is not, like, he can hit from the outside, but that's not his game. His game is much more slashing. And Marco Jackson can hit from three occasionally, but, you know, he came in, he was not a shooter. Like, that was, I saw a lot of people that were wondering, was like, what's going on with Jackson? You know, he was billed as this really good shooter. As He was not, actually, at all. <laughs> like, he, he could make shots, especially playing against the other high schoolers he was playing against. But, you know, that was the one area of his game that he needed to work on. And he talked about that when he was coming in. So, um, you don't have a natural three-point shooter, unless, you know, you want to talk about Hunter Dickinson, you know, three-point sharpshooter on the team. Um you, know, you don't have a natural three-point shooter in the starting lineup, whereas a lot of those other teams you did. You had a Tyrell Reed. You had a you know uh, Christian Brown. You had a, a bunch of different guys that would jump in and would be those you know morning star. Like I'm just thinking of all the guys that were unconventional starters, but they were starters because they were good, solid defensive options, and they filled a role that they needed in that starting lineup. You just you just don't have that, I don't think yet with Kansas, and so you're going to have Furphy coming in. Um, you know, you're going to have Nick Timberlake coming in and hopefully he can hit more of them than he has this year, but like, you're going to have other guys coming in and that's just the way it is for this team. I do think that this team is probably going to end up with more bench minutes than most other teams just because of that. But if Marco Jackson takes a huge leap forward going into conference play, I would not be shocked to see, you know, that we have this team drop all the way back down just like, you know, those other ones. And that's usually a good sign when you don't have a lot of bench minutes. It's a good sign that you either have no depth at all, or you just have really, really good starters. For Kansas, it's usually been really, really good starters. So, all right, I, I do want to save most of the uh, the talk about the Indiana game coming up here uh, for the podcast that I'm hoping to have later this week. I have reached out to a couple of Indiana guys and hoping to get one of them on the pod. But just a, any brief thoughts about Indiana before we get out here for the day? Um, 
Indiana is this is a from from what I've watched so far and and what I've, I've, the little research I've done, they are going to be a lot like Kansas, where there's this is not going to be a a three point competition. Like they don't take many threes. Kansas doesn't take any shoot threes. Indiana's actually, but whereas Kansas doesn't take many threes and also uh, but can make them, Indiana doesn't take many threes because they're shooting twenty seven percent. They are much better from inside the arc. The interesting thing is is that. Um, they are not a good three-point defensive team. So I think that's one of the areas where I don't think this means Kansas is going to take 35 threes in this game, but I think they could probably make seven or eight because uh, they're going to get some some good looks. So um, the, the defense has not always been there for Indiana. Um, I do think, though, that the fact that this is in Bloomington, like that is a tough environment to go on. So I'm curious to see how – Kansas handles the road because both of Indiana's losses have been on neutral sites. They have not lost at home yet, but also, you know, they haven't played the toughest schedule. They played, they played two top 50 Ken Palm, Ken Palm teams. They lost to both of those by 20 points or more. Um, their best win on the schedule, I guess is Michigan. It was a three point win on the road, um, which conference games are always tough, but yeah, this is, um, this is a team that has not really been able to put anybody away. They uh, they kind of eke them out uh, usually with offense if they need to, but they have to they have to do it by scoring inside, and that is one of Kansas' strengths. Like Kansas's two point percentage defense is twelfth in the nation, so uh, that's that's going to be interesting. Is is Kansas going to be able to like? Are they going to let them shoot some more threes and can Kansas hit them? And also. Can Indiana actually score um, relatively consistently inside against this Kansas two-point defense that has been locked down so far? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, you look at Indiana, they grade out very similar to Missouri, except Missouri likes to take more threes, even if they're not good at it. Um, you know, Indiana, I just don't know that they have the the size to compete with Kansas on the inside, but we'll find out more later this week, so... Um, you know, I'm looking forward to this game. I have a coworker who is a huge Indiana fan. So looking forward to having a little side bet on the game with him. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, but anyway, I think that is going to go ahead and do it for us today. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please to go out wherever you get your podcast, it's Apple podcast, Spotify, Stid, no Apple podcast, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there, just search for rock chalk podcast and subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, it'd be absolutely fantastic. And if you do leave that review, it really helps to get the show out there so that more people can, you know, find their show and we can do a lot more with this stuff. So, um, but you know, just, just let us know what it is that we can be doing better for you guys for this show. We really do bring the podcast to get you guys all the info you want, you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people want to try to interview anything like that, contact me uh, by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are, of course, part of the 1012 Podcast Network covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, including the new ones coming in. Go to 1012network.com to find links to all the great shows that we have. You also can support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash 1012network. There's a bunch of great stuff over there. Um, I'm looking to, you know, there's some exclusive stuff, audio, video, uh, articles, all that stuff, but um, make sure you visit our sponsors, uh, Charlie Hustle and Price Picks, and that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.